0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's Livin' the Bream with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Breen. Hello, everybody. This week's Live in the Bream podcast is a solo adventure, but I'm not going to be alone because what we're going to talk about are some of the most amazing women I've ever met. Now, I met them on the pages of the Bible because they are all included in my new book, Women of the Bible Speak, The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. I was so inspired in writing this book. I am somebody who grew up in church and Sunday school, so I knew a lot of the stories, but I didn't know the details of some of them. So if you've been intimidated by the Bible or think it's kind of a dusty, old, boring book of rules, and it's just about a bunch of men, I'm here to tell you that I hope that you will crack this book open and take a look because there are so many outstanding women. Some of them were faithful from the beginning. Some of them were humble. Some of them rose to be a queen, Um, We've got a murderer, a prostitute, um, and we've got the holiest. We've got the mother of Jesus, Mary herself. So the book includes a little bit of everyone, some people who were on track, some people who got wildly off track, but the common theme is that God was using them in their lives and working through them. And when they returned to him, he was faithful to use their messes for something beautiful and something good and inspiring. So we're all flawed. And the women of of this book and women woven throughout the Bible were flawed. Uh, But in that, I find a lot of encouragement, knowing that I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be um, a superstar. Any one of us walking through our lives every day has a a chance to serve other people, to see God working in our lives, to see his purpose and to find that and to find joy in difficult circumstances. And so the women of this book weave through all of those different themes. And the fact is um, they lived centuries and centuries ago, these women but I find that so much of they dealt with of what they dealt with translates to 2020 and 2021, the, the difficult year that we've all been living through. Um, the fact is they dealt with widowhood and infertility, betrayal, chronic illnesses, feeling like God didn't hear them, like he'd forgotten about them, having a strong desire of their hearts. And they really ached for that didn't come to fruition right away, despite their prayers. And so through all of them, we see that there was purpose in the waiting, um, in the struggle, And all of it. So, for me to write this book during the pandemic was a huge blessing. I felt at times it was a little overwhelming because it was during the pandemic, during the presidential election, and then the untimely death of Justice Ginsburg. And since I covered the Supreme Court, covering a confirmation battle too. But I really believe this was such a gift that came into my life because. I was able to see these women's stories and to feel and draw hope from it and draw inspiration to be challenged where I can do better in my faith walk and to see how they came through and did better, Um, to know that I'm not alone when I'm struggling, where I'm not getting things right, Um, when I make mistakes and go off the path and think I can show God a better way to handle my life. Um, These women did all of those things. And so I just want to touch on a few of them. Um, So you'll know a little bit more about what's in the book and hopefully be inspired and feel like um, God sees you just like he saw each of these women. And listen, their stories were all included in the Bible because God thought they were important uh, in the good and the bad. There's something to be learned from all of them. Um, We span the Old and New Testament. And listen, we do focus on 16 women, but I included a bonus chapter at the end that's called Jesus and the women for the New Testament, because there were several women who we maybe only have a little slice of their story. Um, we don't have a name for some of these women, but their stories were important enough that they're included in the gospels and throughout the new Testament. So let's start a little bit. And people ask me, who's your favorite person or who's your favorite woman in the book? And that's really impossible for me to do. And I would say on a different day, depending how I'm doing in my own life, in my own walk, I may have a different favorite, but let's talk about some of those, uh, in the earliest part of the old Testament, start with Sarah and Hagar, Sarah and Abraham, uh, were the key, uh, God had called Abraham out to leave everything he knew to go to a new land that God would show him that he was going to be the father of great nations. But the fact is, as the years went on, and boy, there are some twists and turns in Sarah and Abraham's story. Twice we see in the Bible where Abraham pretended that Sarah was his sister, not his wife, because she was so beautiful that these powerful leaders were very interested in taking her to be their own wife. So listen, she probably felt, I would think at times, frustrated or frightened about this crazy journey she was on with Abraham. And she kept waiting for a child that never showed up. She was waiting and waiting and thinking, I'm not going to be part of this promise. I think I'm going to be part of this promise. She takes matters into her own hands at one point, saying, as was the custom in those days often, I want to give you Hagar, who is my servant. I want you to sleep with her, and then you'll have an heir. Instead of waiting on what God had promised for her, she decided to come up with her own plan. We all do this at times. Not this particular plan. Uh, but back in those days, it was part of the plan. Now, listen, the more that I studied this and I know this story, the story, the detail, the layers, uh, the translations of the original words, what we find out is Hagar wasn't just a servant. The, in all likelihood, she was probably a slave, somebody who did not have freedom to say no to this plan or to um, run away or to leave. I mean, she was not free to do those things. But when she, Hagar does become pregnant, what we see is she does feel oppressed Sarah is not nice to her. She's not kind to her. And you got to imagine the frustration, the jealousy between the two women. Hagar now has what Sarah always wanted was that baby. Does she feel now inadequate and jealous? Does Hagar feel oppressed? We're told that she was treated very harshly and abusively by Sarah. So it's very complicated. These aren't one-dimensional women in the Bible. And at one point, Hagar leaves, she's cast away, she runs away. God sends her back. But the beautiful thing is that he sees her, we're told, that he sees her. And that's even the name that Hagar gives to him, the God who sees me. And think about this woman who was a slave, who had no position, no esteem at all in that society. And how many times people had probably looked past her. Um, She was just a part of the wallpaper. She was not important in that society, but she was to God. He met her and saw her and told her to go back. How many times have we felt in our lives that God is asking us to do something that we don't necessarily want to do. And a lot of folks would think here, Hagar was justified in not going back. But there's so much more to the story. She does go back and she has her child, Ishmael. And it's still many, many years before Sarah and Abraham have a child of their own. Now she's pushing 90, he's pushing 100. God is back into the picture and says, Sarah's going to have a baby. She laughs. And God says, why are you laughing? She tries to deny it, but we can't deny anything to God. He's like, no, I heard you laugh and she's busted. But there we are a year later, she's having a baby. It's miraculous. She has Isaac. And there are so many other unforeseen developments in this story that you got to see it. You got to read it to see how um, both of the women struggled. Both were right at times, both were wrong at times, but God was always, always working through their stories. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment fox news radio on demand on the fox news app download the app and just click listen when you swipe left you can listen to your favorite fox news talk shows live swipe right for the latest fox news radio newscasts on demand fox news radio on the fox news app download it today also in the old testament queen esther an amazing story of how she goes from an orphan all the way to the queen of Persia. And she is put in a place that wants her to be at the very moment. She is um, put in a position to risk her own life, to try to save all of the Jewish people. I knew this story, but man, I had forgotten about some of the details that were only possible through divine inspiration for God working through her story. And we got to remember, she wasn't immediately brave when she was called upon to rush into the king to make the plea for the Jewish people and to save her people. In fact, she had been told... uh, during her journey, don't reveal who you are, that you're Jewish, that this is your background. And she called on the people, the Jewish people to fast for three days. She wanted uh, help and guidance and direction. But when the moment came, she said, after those three days, I will go to the king, which in those times to go to him unbidden was to risk your life. You literally could be put to death if you went to the king without being called for. And she said, I will do it. And she went and it, it is a beautiful story. um, And people who were bad actors in this thing, getting punishment that was coming to them and the Jewish people having a chance to defend themselves and their lives to be saved, their nation to be preserved. I love her, but I also thought, let's talk about Rahab. She's in the chapter with with, uh, Queen Esther. If you don't know Rahab, she's a prostitute. But she was also um, not somebody who lived in the time of Queen Esther. They were separated. But what their common bond is, she was also in a position when there was a moment where she had to step up in bravery and courage. She did that so that the people of Israel could have the victory. So her story is woven there, too. And she's in the lineage of Jesus, of Christ. And what a beautiful thing that there are all these different women that aren't um, sanitized, that are included in the story of redemption, um, despite who they were from um, modest backgrounds, um, from royalty, all of them woven through. And of course, in the New Testament, we have Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we pair her with Mary Magdalene, who was also, um, there are a lot of Marys in the Bible, and I spell them out in the Bible, uh, in the book, so that you can know why that name was so popular. We explained that and who all of the different women were. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene both Critical players in Jesus' life, along with Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, we talk about them as well. And what they show us is that women were within Jesus' inner circle. Of course, his mother would be, but these other women were allowed to study at his feet at a time when religious instruction and an esteemed religious teacher or rabbi like Jesus, as the people uh, who were the human folks walking the path with him during those days, viewed him. um, That would have been education generally saved for young men. And men who would study in the temple, but we saw in Jesus in the home of Mary and Martha Lazarus, Mary at his feet. These women were part of his ministry and part of his circle. And there were all kinds of things he did in those days that broke the norms. And these women played critical roles. Um, and he has great affection and respect for them. That is something we see uniformly in the way that he treats women and relates to them and has relationships with them. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to include that chapter about Jesus and the women, because these are women he goes to, some of them in desperate need, some of them absolute outcasts from society. He doesn't wait and say, I only want to be with the sanitized people who've cleaned up their act, who have no sin in their lives, who are presentable to society. That is not the way he came to them. He went to them where they were. And I wanted to include the story of the woman who was accused of adultery. If you're familiar with the story, she'd been gathered and dragged in by a number of religious leaders or people who were esteemed um, within the framework of that day. And they were going to stone her. Jesus is there. And he steps in and says to them, who among you is without sin? because that's the first person who can cast the very first stone. They don't run off in shame or abandon the situation. We're told in the Bible, they actually sort of slink off one by one, quietly putting down their stones and walking away. Um, They know that he's right. Not saying that this woman um, is blameless, but none of us are. And that's what Christ wanted to show there. And also that he was willing to stand up for this woman and defend her which would have been enormously unpopular, and especially for a religious teacher as he was in that day. And he doesn't condemn her. He tells her to go and turn away from her sin and live her life. He doesn't condemn and berate and shame her. He he talks about her sin, talks about what she needs to turn from, but he says, I don't condemn you. So no one else can either. He gives her the grace and the respect to go on with her life, um, to be able to walk away from the situation and turn over a new leaf and to have um, the very son of God say to her, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. And what a beautiful thing. Also, the story of him meeting with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. I learned a lot here, again, about the layers to this story that I'd heard so many times because the Jewish people and Samaritan people in those times, there were deep, deep ethnic divides. Um, These are people who did not get along. They did not work together. They did not socialize together. There was really no interaction between them to the point that the Jewish people would travel way out of their way, these circuitous routes. So they wouldn't go through Samaria. They wouldn't go through these um, territories. They would not interact with them. But Jesus went right into Samaria. He took a trip that took him right there. He knew what he would uh, encounter. He knew who he would encounter. And so the Samaritan woman doesn't come early in the day as many of the women would do. They come before the heat of the day. They get their water jugs and they travel back into town. But this woman was living as such an outcast, an outlier, in a life of shame that she was there in the heat of the day by herself. She was making this trip at the most inconvenient, most uncomfortable time, but nothing is a surprise to God. Jesus was on his own timeline and he was there in the heat of the day. And he asked her for a drink from the well. And she sort of reacts like, gosh, you're a Jewish man. Why are you even talking to me? And the fact that he was um, an esteemed Jewish leader or teacher, that he would be talking to a woman alone at the well. There's so many things here that would not have fit with the constraints or the policies of of the time. But we know Jesus was always breaking those norms because for him, it was never about the formality, about the process, about the law. It was about the hearts and souls of people created in the image of God. And that's how he saw these people, the women in the book, the men of the time, with great respect and with love and compassion, knowing that he came not to judge, but to save. Um, So we see his interaction with the Samaritan woman, and clearly she doesn't understand what he is speaking about when he says, I can give you living water where you'll never thirst again. And of course, this woman who's trudging through the heat of the day to get to the well every day in the middle of the day, alone and struggling is thinking, okay, I want that water. What is this water that never runs dry or I'll never have thirst again? And of course he's talking about spiritual matters. He tells her everything about her life. He knows that she's had five husbands and the man she's living with now is not her husband. He does not condemn her in that, but he leads her through this conversation to the revelation that he is the Messiah. He reveals himself to a woman who was an outcast, who then runs back at the end of this to her society, to her community. And listen, they know all of her dirty details. They know the reality of her life. And she has been completely redeemed saying to them, I've met the man who is the Messiah. It must be him. He knew everything about me. He told me all of everything about me and what a testimony, what a a witness she was to be somebody who would have been considered not polite society. She's not getting all the best party and dinner invites, yet she's the one Jesus decides to connect with. And because her life is so radically transformed, it's an even greater witness to the people she now goes and shares the truth with that's have been that been shared with her. I also included in this story, a woman who's woven all throughout the gospels, but we don't know her name. All we know is this. She had been struggling with an issue of bleeding for 12 years. She had gone from doctor to doctor. No one had been able to heal her or help her. And we're told she's penniless. She'd spent everything she had trying to get help. Another thing I learned in writing this book is that at that time, she would likely have been considered completely unclean because of this bleeding issue, meaning She would have been ostracized. She would not have been probably able to go to the temple, um, to be in a crowded market, to be around other people. She must have been very isolated in her own home and really without hope and despair. I would imagine it many times during those years, but she heard about Jesus and she heard about the miracles and this man that people were saying was divine. And she decided what she needed to do was simply get close enough to him to touch the hem of his garment. That's it. She wasn't going to go face to face and ask him uh, as he was being followed by crowds. She just thought, if I get that close and touch that garment, I'm going to be healed. What amazing, amazing faith! So to to gamble, to leave her home, to go out amongst this crowd where she could have been shamed or outed at any point. She did believing that he could heal her. And we're told in the gospels, when she touched the hem of his garment, immediately we're told she was healed. And he felt the power go out from him. He knew. And he turns around and he says to one of the disciples who touched me, who I almost can hear the disciple laughing. Like he says, you're in a crowd. (laughs) You know, people were always at that point crowding around Jesus. And this woman certainly knew that a man powerful enough Um, the son of God, powerful enough to heal her just by her touching his garment would know it was her. And we're told in the gospel, she turns around and falls before him trembling to admit that it was her. So knowing there is this crowd around Jesus all the time, pulling at him, wanting things, looking for miracles, he could have easily said to her, you know, how dare you? You're not even here. You didn't ask me. You're unclean. You shouldn't be here. Um, you didn't approach me and ask for this. You came and, and simply touched me and took power. But he didn't do that. In all the gospel accounts, what we see is he turns to her and he says, daughter, he immediately is giving her his seal of approval. He sees her for who she is, someone who has suffered so incredibly greatly for years and years and years, who has been shamed and outcast. And he says to her daughter, signaling to everybody who is watching, That he cares about her and what has happened to her. And he loves her and accepts her. He gives her credit. He says, Your faith has made you whole. We know it was his divine power, but it was his great compassion and her great faith that led to her healing. And again, I think about her going back to her community where people know her story. They know her agony, they know her pain, they know her isolation. And she suffered all that time. Jesus knew the perfect timing it would be for healing her. She's now able to go back and say, this is a miracle to every doctor, to every person she'd ever sought help for who knew they could not help her. This was the divine son of God who reached through time to her story. And because of that, she was able to share the joy and the truth with so, so many other people. And there is story after story about that in the Bible about women who were, um, in a good place, in a bad place, who got off track, who were faithful. I love how different all these stories are. And they all came alive for me again, hearing them, studying them. I just pray they'll be inspiring and encouraging for you because they have been for me in so many ways. It's been a rough year. Um, and I drew just so much hope through each of these women and the fact that all of us, no matter what our circumstances, um, are seen by God or loved by God, are forgiven and and just accepted and redeemed by Him. So whatever your faith journey is, whatever your experience is, I know you'll learn something new from this book. And I just pray that everyone who picks it up will be blessed by what's in these pages. It is truth and it is hope. Women of the Bible Speak, it's out March 30th. You can order a pre-copy now at foxnews.com books. And I pray that you'll be so encouraged. That's this week's Live in the Brain. Talk to you again soon.